Welcome back to the Body Podcast, where we talk strength, conditioning, lifestyle, and everything in between. Today's episode, we have body member Casey with us talking about dealing with and overcoming imposter syndrome. Casey, thanks for coming on the Body Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for asking. Let's, uh, I guess before we get into it, go a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Yeah. How you end up in Arizona, stuff like that. All right, for sure. Uh, so I grew up in the Florida Panhandle, right on like the Gulf Coast beaches of Fort Long Beach and Destin. Um, it's a very small town, especially compared to Phoenix. Um, I did my undergrad at University of Florida in Gainesville, which is more central Florida. Um, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Middle Basically, of nowhere. like right in between Jacksonville and Orlando. Yep. So. <laughs> You're right in between like big town Jacksonville and then like Disney World. So very, very much so swamp. Um, but I studied mechanical engineering and biomechanics while I was an undergrad. Um, I loved it. I loved the whole like SEC school environment. It was super cool. Barely ever missed a football game. I, uh, when I was in college, we do, you do a study abroad. Uh-huh. And I asked my, <laughs> I asked my, uh, the study abroad people if I could do mine but just at like an SEC school. She's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I just want to go to like a big football school. Yeah. I just wanted to go to football games on Saturdays. Like right. I want to be at college campus. And they're like, we, oh, yeah. we don't do it. Like, we don't like a sister school. They're like, I, she's like, no. And I was like, good. Thank God I didn't because my buddy did went to UVA for uh-huh. a uh, semester. He came back to transfer next semester back to our school. And I was like, what happened? He's like, I just paid 30 grand for a party. Like, I know. Oh he's like, I'm not built. He goes, he looked at me, he's like, Scott, we, you, we're not built for big classrooms, big school. He's like, you'll never go. I was like, yeah. all right. Was like, all right. I mean, so, and it, like, the tailgating was insane, like, and the sports and everything add a whole different element to it. But it, it was very much so you go from being a little fish in a big pond. And the classrooms are huge. Your lectures are like, Three to four hundred people, and it's so easy to just like drop off your studies. Dude, if, if you are a, if you're just like a regular business major at a big school, you can. Oh yeah. You can easily just like blend in, no one know who you are, go to some classes, make sure you show up for tests, yep. do well, and you could like pass college by night. Yep. But yeah. like you can't. I mean, no. <laughs> your major, you can't just show up. No, and I, it's funny because I struggled a lot with the transition from high school to college because I was so used to just like, you know, little tiny classes and ask like, the teacher a question. Yeah, yeah, things coming naturally to me. And then I got to college and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. And so my first year, I failed Calc 2. And that was such an eye-opening experience for me. It was the first time I ever failed a class or did worse than a B ever. And I was yeah. like, okay, something has to change. And I had to make some changes after that. So, so you, all right, so you get your degree. So, from, yeah. So, I got the Gators. Yep. I got my degree, MEC-E with biomechanics minor. And I, so I actually ended up taking half a victory lap because of, <laughs> because the classwork was so hard. I couldn't take any more than like 12 credits at a time. Yeah. Um, so I did my extra semester, which was great because I got to go to one SEC championship game. Watch us get blown out by Alabama. Was that, time. was that a Kyle Trask in Pitts? No, no, I was, I was right before them. So this was, um, oh shoot. Who it was, was after that? Tebow. It was after Tebow. I missed Tebow by like two years. Um, it was McElwain's first year coaching. It was right after they fired Will Champ. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. And that's in Atlanta, right? That it was in Atlanta. Out. Yeah. So we made, we made a road trip out of it. We got super lucky. We all got lottery or drew the lottery tickets for game for the game. Um, but yeah, so I graduated. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was like, I've got this degree now. What do I do with it? And one of my mentors was like, well, have you considered maybe going into grad school? And I reluctantly said, yes, I've considered it, but I really don't want to do it. Um, but when I told him, you know, I think I want to move into more of like clinical medical research, he broke the bad news to me and said, well, I think you really should consider doing at least a master's, maybe a PhD if you feel like it. So that brought me to Arizona. Um, one of my professors actually had a connection in the biomedical engineering department at ASU. Um, and that actually was the only school I applied to. So I literally put all my eggs in one basket, <laughs> which okay. is not the smartest decision to do when you're applying to grad school. <laughs> um, and it almost kind of came back to, to bite me because my original lab that I was going to go into that did a lot of like biomechanics type research, um, the funding fell through. And so I kind of found myself plopped into this like neuroscience lab that I had no previous experience with. And I had no, no interest in the type of research they were doing at all. And it was just a super toxic environment. And I just, I finally got, to, after like two years, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't have to keep putting up with this. Yeah. I should switch research. Um, but I was too stubborn for like two years. So I basically just like put all that time right down the drain. And kind of just almost selling yourself on the, well, I've been doing this for undergrad clinical research. It's like, it's too late to change yeah, type stuff in exactly. your head. You're just like, I'm already, I'm already here. I've already put in this much time and effort exactly. to just quit. What a waste of time the last yeah. six, seven years have been. Yeah. I was like, I've already like, I've been out here putting up with it for two years. And then once it hit me, like, why are you doing this? Like you're miserable. You can yeah. do something you'd rather, you know, have much more interest in. So that actually kind of ties into a funny story from my first, very first semester out here. Um, I had this knee injury that like totally changed the trajectory of so you get in a what I ski accident, doing. right? Yeah. So first Christmas break out here, my dad and my two sisters in fly out or Gwen, drive out from Florida. Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> you hear her? Wait, what? Yeah. You know the whole Gwyneth Paltrow like sue? This guy was no. suing her. Oh, the guy was suing her because they got a ski act. They collided on the slopes, oh, and he was trying to sue for it. Yeah, that was a whole that. that was a whole thing behind it. No, so, I didn't. Oh. My story is way less interesting. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but it's so you didn't funny hit any now. Famous people? No, I did not hit any <laughs> famous people. But it was now looking back on it, it's funny because me and my sisters had never skied before. Grew up in Florida. Um, but my dad grew up in Pennsylvania. So he was like, you know what, now that you're living out West, I think we should take our first Christmas trip out to Colorado and go skiing. And I'll teach you guys how to ski. And we were like, yeah, sure. Okay. That, that sounds fun. So we pack up all four of us and my dog, we drive up to Durango and the first full day we're out there, we go to Hesperus, which is like little tiny ski resort up there. Um, I'm like, we run our gear and they tell us, oh, because you're like newbies, you get a free lesson if you want it. And we were like, yeah, okay, that might be a good idea. And so literally like 30 minutes into this lesson, we go up the ski lift just a little bit and the girl says, okay, like we're gonna go ahead and go down this short little run here. And my sister did it 
and then I was up next and I kind of veered off the path and I hesitated when I should have stopped fully and my whole body just twisted around my knee because my ski got stuck in the snow and when everybody says like you know you tear something in your knee you feel in here a pop yeah I felt it hurt a pop and yeah. <laughs> I'm just laying in the snow thinking oh my god there's no way anything in my knee is still intact anymore yeah. and if I'm gonna have to have surgery I don't know what I'm gonna do like I'm a semester into grad school I live alone I have a dog I live on the top floor of an apartment like oh my god I'm so screwed um and so it ended up being a torn MCL. So MCL okay. runs alongside the inside of the knee. Yep. Um, I don't know how I didn't tear my ACL or a meniscus or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I completely tore mine out in college. Did you really? ACL, MCL, meniscus. Uh, but my yeah, mine was a pop. Mine wasn't a pop. Mine mine sounded like something like snapped. Yeah. And I just was on the ground grabbing the front of my knee. Oh and my then, gosh. And then it, it went away with like I, I went to school with a lot of uh, one of the majors, big majors is athletic training and uh-huh. physical therapists. So I had a lot of AT PT friends. Oh. Okay. And you hear about ACL surgeries all the time, yeah. especially they're studying them. So once I heard that, grabbed my knee, and then a couple minutes later. The pain went away. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, yeah, it's gone. I didn't, I didn't even know. But I had to go get an MRI. But yeah, yeah I just, I knew, I was like, off. Oh. I was like, it was senior year. It's oh, like a month no. into senior year. I was like, I'm going to have to be in a freaking cast of rehabbing six months during college. Oh, gonna be, no, it's going to be miserable going around campus in a, you know, full on yep. cast. So, yeah. Knee bracing yeah. Doing, so yeah. I can imagine like, going upstairs. Like, ours yeah. was just three steps to, yeah. to our door. But even that's yeah, tough. Because tough. Crush is like, they, I mean, they teach you how to use them, but you don't really know what you're doing until you can't yeah, like. And I'm in Massachusetts. It's snowing. It's winter. You know, it's oh, ice. No. It's, it's, you know, getting around college campus is not the easiest. Oh, no. Yeah, so no, not at all. It's tiring. Yeah, and I, I ended up so MCLs usually heal on their own, um, but I was in the lucky like very few who end up with it healed, but still yeah. like very unstable. And so at the end of my spring semester, first year out here, had to have it repaired. I was couldn't put weight on my left leg for like eight weeks. It was it was brutal. And yep. in the dead of summer too. So I was just crutching around everywhere, just super sweaty all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but the the good that came out of it was I ended up getting a job out of it eventually. So um, I had that surgery in May 2017, and then I ended up going back in to have the hardware taken out a year later. And so that was right around the time that Mayo Clinic opened their new sports medicine clinic in Tempe, right um, behind Tempe Marketplace. And so they asked, do you want to do your physical therapy here? We've got you know this brand new, beautiful PT gym and these great PTs that we've hired. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and at the, as around the time that I was finishing up my PT, they told me they were hiring for a rehab tech and they thought it would be along the lines of, you know, maybe just a way to have like a little side gig while I was finishing up school. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And I ended up getting that job. And um, eventually I started coming up with some research questions with the PTs I worked with. And one thing led to another and the surgeon that fixed my knee actually ended up as one of my primary mentors on my dissertation for my doctorate program. Perfect. Yeah. So full circle. So full circle. Yep. We were studying, um, low intensity blood flow restriction training for ACL reconstruction. So it was this big project took like four years from start to finish, not 
including the year we lost to COVID because yeah. <laughs> that was brutal. But yeah, so this super awesome project came out of it. Um, but it was very different from everything I'd done before because I had such a technical engineering background and now I'm like plopped in the middle of this very yeah. clinical research project. And I was in a position where I was kind of leading this team of, we had a surgeon, a physician, a couple of physical therapists, like statisticians. I'm just a grad student. I didn't yeah. even have a master's at that point. And they're like, yeah, you're the co-principal investigator on this study. And I'm like, I'm doing what now? Like, this is insane. So that kind of leads into, you know, kind of what you want to talk about, which is imposter syndrome. Exactly. Um, And I guess for people that don't know what it is. So it's basically a feeling like you're a fraud or you're not good enough. You're inadequate. Um, It's very, very rampant in grad students. Um, In fact, like the whole time that I was in grad school, like my first couple of years, I didn't really, like, I'd heard of it, but I was like, oh, well, you know, at least I don't have that. Like, I hadn't experienced it yet until um, right before I did my dissertation proposal to my committee, I suddenly had this, like, overwhelming feeling like, you're going to get up there, you're going to present this proposal to these engineers, and they're going to discover that you're a fraud, that you've just been faking your way through this this whole time. I mean... I know a lot of imposter syndrome happens in like athletes too uh-huh. because sometimes if you're from like a small town mm-hmm. and you end up at like a big school, I know uh, the Miami Heat's player, Duncan Robinson, uh, he talked about, he learned about it, never really thought he had it, uh-huh. but he's a division three basketball player, ends up transferring to a division one school, but was like a role player at mm-hmm. a, a good division one school, but at Michigan, but not uh, not he was he's not like he didn't average a hundred point you know twenty points yeah. a game. Never got drafted. Kind of made his way up to the he was starting, but he when he started to struggle a little bit, mm-hmm. he was like, "Man, I just I don't belong." Type yeah. like, and he was just like, "I'm just not good enough." Like because when you like you you weren't technically your certifications or your your, your degrees and stuff doesn't match up what you're doing. Right. So when you're in the moment, I'm assuming it's, oh, this is all, everything's a high. You're like, uh-huh. oh, this is awesome. I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah. And then when it's like given to you, it's not necessarily the, I don't think I'm going to do well. It's if I do fail, I'm not meant to be here. Yeah. Whereas if you like had studied, if you were like a lawyer and you go to the bar and you do all that and you, you pass it and you fail, you're just like, all right, some people are just like, all right, I'll get them next time. It's yeah. I did a bad job because I've studied. I know this, but when you aren't really supposed to be there, yeah, it exactly. creates a lot more doubt, I think. And that's yeah. kind of my interpretation of it with people. It's not just, I don't belong here, but it's like for a lot of people that, you know, think that they're mentally underqualified for something somehow end up in a bigger role yeah. and they're like, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> if I fail, everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. And they, they're more worried about everyone else's like yeah. value and that not seeing you as that. So yeah. I guess, so you get this lead now you're doing presentation. Yeah. It starts creeping in your head. Yeah. It's there. And it's like, it's very internal. Like it's not like anybody said anything to me like, Oh, like you don't deserve this or anything. It's just all like in my head. I'm in my own head. I'm like yeah. psyching myself out. Um, so I, yeah, I give this proposal, I pass at that point, I move into like PhD candidacy. So I go from being a student to a candidate. Um, and it's basically like the green light to go ahead and start your dissertation. And this is like the big last step. Um, so 
it's a it's like a very big milestone for being in grad school but um now at that point i'm like okay cool so i passed my proposal but now i've still got to actually do this project and then covid hits and i'm like it's it's not going away because now i'm i'm it's like almost exacerbated by the fact that i'm still just like an engineer in a clinical space i'm also a female in two very traditionally male dominated fields orthopedic surgery and engineering yeah no and i think the feeling is all right i just killed the research oh fuck i I'm now going, now I have to do this. Yeah. You know, so everything that you would think it would go away. You right. think like, oh, I, I killed this interview basically. Yeah. I killed it. And it's like, oh shit, now I got the job. I actually have to do it. Now, now, <laughs> now I have to prove, like, now it's just like even more on top of it. Yeah. So you'd think like the more success you have, the, the further it goes away. But then it's like, oh no, I got to prove myself again. Yeah, exactly. And it was so frustrating because we just kept butting up against like every obstacle you could think of. Like... We were applying for grants and we'd get a, we would get turned down by one and then accepted by another. And then we'd be so excited because we got this grant. And then there was some kind of like logistical issue with them actually like getting us the money or um, like trying to get approval to get like IRB approvals. So basically the IRB makes sure that like if you're using human subjects that you're doing it all ethically and taking everything into consideration we would submit our IRB application and they'd come back with like eight different things that we had to submit to them. And we were like just banging our heads against the walls, just trying to get this thing off the ground. And then we finally think, okay, we're going to enroll now. And then COVID happens. And so ACL surgery dependent on sports, all sports stop. Um, that's so basically like our whole population of ACL patients is gone. And then ACL reconstruction is considered elective and no elective surgeries are being done. Yep. And I ended up getting furloughed for like six months from my job. So not only did I lose my job, I also lose my dissertation. And so I'm just like, the thoughts are like spiraling out of control. Like, oh my gosh, maybe this really isn't meant to be. Um, you know, this research is something I've like dreamed of doing. It's like this super clinical, like I'm working hands-on with the patients. It's not like I'm toiling away in some lab somewhere. I'm actually getting to do like really cool things. And now I just, I can't do it. And so I'm just like, the thoughts are everywhere. And I, I was like, I was a mess for those like six months. So for someone that's going through, you know, well, first of all, you said you had like had a lot of anxiety going on, right? Before you realized it was imposter syndrome. I guess how what's the difference between someone just being very like anxious and actually having imposter syndrome? So I think the anxiety is more. It's more of like the worrying about it, or like you're making up like fake scenarios in your head. You're catastrophizing, like automatically jumping to worst case scenario versus like the imposter syndrome is like a more internal, like just negative self-talk type of thing. And maybe it can be triggered by something external, but for me, it's always been like just listening to the voice inside my head, say like terrible things and trying to separate out the fact that yes, I'm having these feelings and yes, it's okay to have these feelings, but they're not true. And so I've like, worked on that a lot and really like come up with some good coping mechanisms to get me through. And I finally did end up finishing my dissertation last spring 
And so that was a huge, huge, like, success by the time I got done. So for someone that's going through it right now, what did you do to help you, I guess, get through? Uh, and was it therapy? Was it talking to friends? Was it, like, what did you do to help yourself get through that? So I did work on it in therapy a lot. I started that like my second year of grad school and that was a huge help for me. Um, it kind of helps de- helps you develop like a good foundation for figuring out like why you're, you're thinking and feeling the way you do. Um, and just, and it's very validating too. Like you don't have to just sit with your thoughts when you like verbalize them and actually, you know, get them out of your head and tell somebody who's like a neutral third party, they can help you kind of untangle what you're feeling. Um, but if, and I know like therapy is still very much so has like a stigma around it. And I am definitely an advocate of the thought that like, you don't have to go to therapy. Like if you just, if you go to therapy, it doesn't mean there's something wrong. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of changed recently Yeah, in the, in the last couple of years, basically mostly probably during COVID. Oh yeah. There like a lot more people are just open to talking about therapy and going. Uh-huh. I think it also gives you a... A, a, like you said, a third party person, yeah. someone that doesn't know you, yeah. and at least gives you a different perspective. Is every like probably therapist correct in everything they say? No, no one's one hundred percent right. But it's a third party rather than just asking yeah. um, your friends who, or you're asking other people that you go to school with. So mm-hmm. you're all in like the same similar bubble. So it's kind of like they might not be the best advice. Yeah, rather than listen to someone outside it that really doesn't have any knowledge you know going into almost like a a, a jury he's like you need need like a jury that like has no idea who you are what you're talking about and then hears everything right away and it's like oh okay i'm thinking this yeah it's it almost kind of removes that like inherent bias that we have towards like ourselves or like you said if you're telling like your friends or your classmates like they know you on like a somewhat personal level so they're inherently biased to favor whatever you're thinking or feeling versus a therapist neutral third party um, not saying talking to your friends isn't a good exactly. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not saying doing that. I just saying you can do both. Yeah. And it's, it's, sometimes I think if your friend gives good and for valuable information to you, you're like, all right, that, I agree. I think that you hear from a third party, they say the same thing. It kind of just validates. Yeah. It exactly. And and even then, like along those same lines, like if you talk it out with, even if it's just someone you trust or like a mentor or something, like I kind of like to get like collect as many opinions as I can from people I trust who have like different perspectives. Um, and then a benefit of that too is like, if you tell somebody who is maybe a mentor or a colleague or a classmate or whatever, maybe you'll find that you're not the only one who's having these feelings. Yeah, no, I I think it's always good when you say something, you think you're in the wrong or you think you're a minority in it. And then you Uh hear like other people have it and you're just like, Oh, like, all right, I was making sure that maybe I wasn't crazy or something. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of sometimes want validation like that. I was like, I thought that was weird or I think I'm going through this. And it's like, it's nice to know that some other people yeah. are, it's not that uncommon or it's not, um, it's something that like more people do relate to it. So it makes uh-huh. it, it, it takes a little more like maybe anxiety off your chest and, yeah. kind of, and pressure and whatnot too. Yeah, exactly. Um, another thing that I kind of, I struggle with it at first, but have gotten a little bit better about it is being kind to yourself and actually like letting yourself feel your feelings and accept that, you know, it's okay. Um, it's, it can be really hard, especially when your thoughts are like spiraling out of control, like stop them and, you know, let the intrusive thoughts win. 
Um, but I actually, I happened upon this quote recently that I really liked about imposter syndrome that you don't have to feel like a fraud to be gracious, gracious, open or humble. And so that like really kind of resonated with me. And I was like, okay, I can still be like open, honest, gracious, humble, but I don't have to have these negative feelings tied to it. And so that was like a big step in learning to have grace with myself and kind of internally validate like what I was feeling too. And that's like a, I mean, that took years for me to do. So it's not like, maybe it comes easily, more easily for some people, but that was definitely not the case for me. No, I I think, I mean, there's some things that I find very easily, like usually I'm not really in my own head, Mm -hmm. probably just because I like, ADD. I just fucking <laughs> I, like thoughts can't stick in my you brain. Can't ruminate yeah, I can't. I, I, I do, like the only time. The only time I like have thoughts are like in the shower. Or yeah. Really, when I'm sitting there, I'm like going through everything that went wrong at work. Mm-hmm. But like literally, like once I'm out of the shower, it's like once I move scenery, I'm just like in my living room. Oh, I'm watching the game. Yeah, yeah. and my really thoughts are just watching that. Yeah, so it's like I just my I don't have maybe like a tension span to actually be stuck on negativity. Yeah. So long. I just move on to the next thing. I don't know. Like I, I'm also I've said this on every episode I'm dumb so I, <laughs> no no dumb listen I, I I heard a, I heard a quote from a guy and he goes sometimes I just wish I was dumb and he's like why do you why do you wish that and he was like think about it. like or no, he's not dumb he's when I say dumb I mean like I don't know a lot about anything uh-huh. he's like why he's like well the more you know the more conversations you have with people the more arguments you get in because other people are wrong and you're so mad that they're they're wrong you're like you're yeah. actually wrong so like the less information i know the less i actually have to think and uh-huh. i can just walk to work and go about my day hey, and it, it, makes sense. It, it, it makes so much sense when he said it. i was like man sometimes i wish i didn't know as much and a lot sometimes i just wish i didn't focus on like politics or care about sports right. i would just go to the gym go to work Go eat, and it's like, wouldn't that be boring? It's like, well, I don't know what exciting is. Yeah. So it, that would just be like that. I'd just be like happy. Just, bah, <laughs> no thoughts, is, just vibes. Just no thoughts, just vibes. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I was like, damn, I wish, God, I wish I was really dumb. But it's like, sometimes like, I just think that like, I don't know, I don't think about other things because it just doesn't stick in my brain. That's why I'm dumb. But I feel like that kind of makes me think along the lines of like, like why I started going to body is that it gave me an hour that was just my time. Like I put my phone on do not disturb. I don't, I try not to think about anything else except what I'm doing in the moment. And then that gets me out of my head and it's like the perfect escape. And so that was like a huge, huge part. Like, I don't know if I would have made it to graduation had I not started going to body like almost a year before I graduated because that got me through finishing and writing my, my whole dissertation. And it probably recharges you. Yeah. I literally was there the morning that I defended my dissertation. I was like, if I don't go do something and get all the energy out, I'm just going to be a jittery, anxious mess. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to class that morning and got it up, like sweat it all out. And then by the time my defense presentation rolled around, I was like, you know what? We're just going to go yeah. flow. No, I think it's good to like, if you're always just focusing on something, you, you got to get like out. If you're yeah. a job, an interview, you have to do something just to get your mind off of it. Oh yeah. All the time. And, and body is a good way to and put your phone on do not disturb. Or just like, Hey, this is my one hour away from everything. Don't think about, you know, s- school work. I, so mm-hmm. I always, when I played sports growing up in, uh, in high school, it's, it was like really when I got the basketball practice, I I don't, I don't remember ever thinking about like who have a test. It was like my two. Yeah. And it got me away from my like worries, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I mean, and of course, like exercise gives you like the 
the hit of dopamine or whatever they say. Yeah. Like, so it's it's like that, but it's also yeah, it's your own time to better yourself and get away from everything else. So it's like the perfect little like one hour escape in the middle of the day. Yeah, and I think the best thing you know at body is. Yeah, you are there by yourself, but like you know, you have a friend or something there with you doing the workout. Yeah. You're you're chatting a little bit. They're doing the workout with you. Maybe you have a little mental competition against it, but it's <laughs> taking you away from what you're doing yeah. outside. If it's stressful, and that's why like sports has always done that. You know, it's not like like some like if I were to just go to the gym by myself, go to like you know whatever a uh-huh. gym, Planet Fitness or whatever, just walk in, and I'm like stressed out at work. It's not the same. I still am thinking about work or something I have to oh I have to do this and this is mm-hmm. so stressful or like body it's like you're in a class and there's other people around you and so you might know so so all, it, yeah. like, it really just takes your mind away from everything outside yeah and it, it actually helps I think a lot less stress it's like a perfect distraction yes and a healthy one <laughs> absolutely <laughs> which I'm thankful for yeah. that was like I I hated working out like I was active my whole life growing up like I played a ton of different sports and was never any good at them (laughs) all the way from like first grade up through undergrad like playing club sports and then grad school like I was like oh yeah I'll be active when I get out here and then I got hurt right away and then once I finally got over that I started rock climbing and so rock climbing was like my escape Um, because it was very physical and mental at the same time because you're like you're yep. hanging on the wall, like puzzling, essentially. So no time to think about no, work or anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When you're up there, it's just you and the rocks. <laughs> but, and and this is kind of going back to your college days. But even when you were studying, probably had some anxiety, like while you're safer and you uh-huh. failed calc. But every Saturday when there was a home football game, the yeah. few-hour tailgate and at the game, the sport. You, you didn't think about school. Oh, hey, yeah. I worry about Sunday. You were, I'm going to tell you, I have fun with my friends. Yep. Going to go watch the football game. And and then, you know, maybe when you're done and you wake up the next morning, bring, you might be like, oh, fuck, I got to study now. <laughs> but at least those for those like six, seven hours of your day, you yep. are, it, it, it does actually bring a lot more like, I think relieve a lot more stress, mm-hmm. you know, for things you find something you do like that can distract you from it. And if it's something, it, granted, drinking alcohol and just sitting and eating food, it's probably not as healthy not as going to the gym. Out, yeah. yeah, going to the gym. <laughs> but like if you're doing like rock climbing, it's like taking your mind away. It's healthy yeah. and body a healthier mindset. Yeah, and it's actually making you better, you know, physically, mentally, and everything, which probably mm-hmm. helps a lot. I'm not a doctor. I'm assuming that would help with your anxiety. <laughs> no, it does for sure. It's funny. I never looked at it that way. That that was why I enjoyed like having that little reprieve, like yeah. every couple, every Saturday, couple Saturdays in the fall. But it makes a lot of sense that that was like your temporary escape. Yeah. It's just you know, yeah, like you said, you're drinking and eating and tailgating and <laughs> you you, you could. A college football Saturday, or just like anything you like doing a lot, yeah. It, it, nothing beats it. It's just you're you're having fun. Yeah. You're never not having fun. You're, oh yeah. You're with all your friends your age, and this is like even at like like compared to like a body party, a bar crawl, uh-huh. Halloween, even the pool parties, like just all your friends from the gym, all having a good time, having all a few drinks, time. Yeah. hanging out, and then you're not even thinking about anything else. Nope. You it's know? just a couple hours. Yeah. You can just have let it, loose. Let loose. Yeah. And so it's just, um, I mean, besides the drinking part, but like going to body <laughs> too, um, just, it, it, you're, that's your hour to get away yeah. and, and, and you're doing something that's beneficial for your, exactly. for your health. So it, it probably checks two boxes. 
hey, life's about balance. I like that's a huge, huge thing for me. But yeah, that was kind of like saying yes, agreeing to go to body. That was like, like I've learned to like step out of my comfort zone and say yes to new things. How'd you hear about body? So one of my coworkers at Mayo, Yana, she has been going to body for years. And I had mentioned like, hey, I want to, I want to like go work out. I just don't know of any good spots. And she was like, you got to go try body. Okay. And so I went, I got my butt kicked in sweat class right off the bat, but I was like, man, I really like this. Like, I feel like garbage because I am so out of shape, but this was so much fun. Yeah. And now I go like five or six times a week. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I, uh, I, I, I get it. It's just, it's a different type of workout. It's a different energy in the class. Yeah. It's that you can't, uh, maybe some people can. I know me personally, I cannot replicate that in a workout by myself. No. There are some people that are just better workout individual people, but I literally, I can't, cannot do it. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way for me. I need that like (laughs) element of personal competition. Like the person next to me doesn't know it, but I'm like definitely competing against them. (laughs) I, uh. I just need someone to just like tell me the workout. And that too. <laughs> that's, that's me. Just tell me. Because if I like make up my workout, it's like, no, no. I, just, I have like no motivation to go if I don't have someone holding me accountable. Yeah. It, or I'll do it as fast as I can. Like, yeah. Let's do a workout. So it takes 45 minutes. Like don't take breaks. I like check into like the gym and I'm gone like 20 minutes. I'm like, wait, I've only been here for 20 minutes. Like when I was on the road a couple weeks ago I was in uh, visiting family so I just went to the local gym mm-hmm. and I like was like I'm just gonna do uh, chest and back so I did a bunch of like chest workouts back and I was like I've only been here 22 minutes but I just went fast as I can yeah. just not like thinking about a break and I was just like I can't leave now because they're gonna be this guy came in for 20 minutes <laughs> like, judging me <laughs> I didn't do sh- even though they don't know who I am I'm just like I can't so I literally just like went over to like the abs did like a minute plank and I just laid on the ground for like a minute and then do a minute. My butt's only like four minutes. Like you're sitting here just like. You're like, my plank time's gonna be so good after so this. I was, I was laying down, I was pretending to do workouts that I wasn't just to make him seem like I spent 40 minutes in there. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've been there. I would, I would go to the gym like when I was in college and I like wouldn't know what to do because I had no idea what I was doing. So I'd just go run on the treadmill for like yeah. 30 minutes. Like I must have looked like such we an did, idiot. We had TVs on all of our treadmills and ellipticals in college. And I would go and watch a ESPN show for 30 minutes on elliptical <laughs> and then I'd lift for like 20 minutes. I'd be there for 50 minutes. Like, yeah. I got a good hour work on it. Really, I was watching a TV show going out, going, basically walking for 30 minutes and I would like, in my brain, thought I did a good job. So. Hey, if it makes the treadmill time pass faster, oh, anything. anything. Yeah. yeah. Dude, anything that make the, make the treadmill not time as bad. Time just slows but, down. <laughs> um, so, all right, you graduated. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we way got off track. I'm sorry, but you graduate. <laughs> what, what's, what are you doing now? So I have still been working at Mayo for the last year. Um, I transitioned, though, from my rehab tech job to being clinical research coordinator. So we've still work, working on like some different ACL studies, um, a couple just random projects here and there. But I actually accepted a postdoc job at Marquette. Um, so going to Milwaukee, Milwaukee, right? Yeah. So this Thursday I am leaving Arizona and I am devastated. Oh no. (laughs) So I've been out here for seven years now. Um, and I've, I've fallen in love. Like I figured, you know, Arizona is going to be where I lay my roots. Um, but I happened upon an opportunity to be the first postdoc in a physical therapy lab at Marquette. 
And I was just telling Nikki, I almost didn't even apply for the job because I was like, I don't know if I want to live in Wisconsin. I'm going to be honest. I don't, I know there's people from Wisconsin, but like going from like Scottsdale, Arizona to Milwaukee is, exactly. is probably going, I've never been there, but I don't need to be there <laughs> to know. It's probably not the, the easiest, best transition. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And all I've known in my life is beach, swamp and desert. Yeah. And now I'm like, Cold. oh, skirt right into the Midwest. And so I went out there two weeks ago to apartment hunt and it snowed over 12 inches while I Dude. was there. You got Marquette basketball though. That's They're going to be good. Shout out Tyler Kolick. Oh yeah. I had them going to the championship and taking it all in my yeah. bracket. So. I, uh, <laughs> their, their point guard, uh, his dad was like a really good player for the college I coached at. So oh, they, that's awesome. they used to come to the games a lot when he was younger. Uh-huh. So it's kind of crazy seeing him now. Yeah, um, like killing and it. And seeing his, his dad was on TV too, thick Boston accent or like a Rhode Island accent, <laughs> and uh, it, was just, it was just funny listening to it. Uh, seeing like, wow, that kid used to come to our games all the time. Yeah, but uh, he, they're yeah, growing up. But Marquette, yeah, at least you got that. And yeah, yeah. So, there's like what, the Bucks you can go to. I don't know. Well, I'll always stay true to the Suns. You know, yeah, yeah. I know, but, <laughs> but under, at yeah. least they have yeah, they've they have got some stuff out sports, there. But yeah, it's cold. It's gonna be a quite a different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lifestyle change. Yeah. Never. I mean, I went out there in October for the very first time. I had like my in-person campus visit and interview and I was like, wow, there's actually like different color greenery. Trees, grass. Yeah. Yeah, The vines on the building are red. I've never seen that before. (laughs) All I've known is hot, less hot, severely hot and like mildly beautiful. We don't, we don't see green too much here. Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's, it's going to be a change. Um, the snow will be difficult to deal with, but I'm going to try to embrace the challenge. Um, I'll be doing some really cool research with a really great team. That's like relatively new. So we our our lab is called the life after sport trajectories lab. So investigating kind of how playing sports and sustaining injuries while playing sports affects the lifespan of athletes. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, we're coming up on time, but your first research that you did, Mm -hmm. I guess, can you summarize like what you came up with and conclude you're doing like blood flow through ACL surgery. So So I guess what, what did you come up with? So we wanted to see if we put our patients through this like pre rehab program of blood flow restriction training, if that would improve their outcomes after surgery. So blood flow restriction training, you can do it with super lightweight. So like you can do, like if you put on your arms, you can do bicep curls with like five pounds instead of 20 or 25 and it burns like, it's awful. It's so uncomfortable, but you're making these like huge strength and and muscle size gains, even with those super light weights. So we put, so it's in that, in those terms, it's really good for people who are injured and can't handle lifting or exercising with heavy weights. You can do like body weight squats and, um, straight leg raises. And And you're putting something in the muscle. So we put a tourniquet around the top of the leg. Okay. So it's kind of like a blood pressure cuff. All right. All right. So when, yeah, when I blew up my knee, I did a bunch of pre rehab, Mm -hmm. which is great. Which is, but basically it was just like, they hooked up some things to my, my quad. The stems. The stems. I did yeah. a lot of stems, and I just did a lot of leg raises. Yeah. Just, so just, just, just straight, le- just leg straight le- like a fat, like a thousand. They're like sit here for like thirty minutes. I'm like all I'm doing is why am I paying you guys when I can just do this? You do like, like quad sets too, where you just squeeze your quads. You into squeeze the your squats. Yeah, and they just <laughs> a bunch of stems on my knee, and that's that's what I did pre and then post. Obviously, yeah, uh, was the stems a lot until I could move. But yep. um, 
So is that you were basically just doing that to help strengthen the muscle before, before sur- surgery, so that when yeah. you come out because like when you do a knee surgery, like what people don't know is like for the first it's like six week increments for the first six weeks you're a full leg cast, yeah, and you really. Maybe four or five weeks, they'll see how far you can bend your uh-huh. knee before, but they don't try to do it too much because they don't want anything. Yeah. So the more the sh- more strength you have going into the surgery, because mm-hmm. you basically don't use your leg for four weeks. Your quad just shuts down, yeah. like you, completely. Because you're not standing on it, you're not putting Correct. any pressure. It's not getting any muscle balance or Correct. anything. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is what uh, what would be the most besides just doing stems and a thousand leg lifts? Yeah. What else could we do to help get this muscle super strong? Right. That when they're out of surgery, you know, and not moving for. Four weeks he doesn't lose as much muscle mass exactly so the, yeah the idea behind like this prehab is kind of if you get the quad like beefed up before surgery it puts you in a better place for after and so our thought was okay we know that prehab helps but if we kind of augment it with this bfr training is that going to be even better and so the things that we looked at were strength of the quad um we looked at size of the quad we used ultrasound which was super super convenient because we didn't have to send our patients off to get a whole MRI, yeah. which is very, very expensive and time consuming. We were able to just do it like right in our PT clinic. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we looked at like a couple like patient questionnaires, like return to sport readiness and things like that. Cause what a lot of people don't realize is ACL reconstruction also has a very big like psychological component too. Um, so we had two groups. We had the group that had the, the BFR intervention, and then we had a sham group. So that group just had the cuff on their leg, but it wasn't inflated the whole way, and they did the same exercises. And we actually found that the group that did two weeks of that BFR program before surgery, they did not make any statistically significant um, gains in strength or muscle size after surgery compared to the sham group. So it did help. It just wasn't statistically significant, which is annoying. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't enough to actually be like, hey, this is a new way to yeah. do prehab. Exactly. And we had some theories behind like why that was. Like we only had did a two-week program. If we had done like four to six weeks before surgery, that might have given us a different outcome. But yeah. we get a lot of these athletes in the clinic and they just want to get their surgery done as soon as possible. But most mo- yeah, mine was I blew mine out. I remember because I went, it was a week, it was a couple days before Halloween. Oh my gosh. So like, I remember having to like, I was on crutches for Halloween. Oh, that's um, brutal. <laughs> and then I did mine the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So because, pretty quick turnaround time. Yeah. So I had like three weeks of rehab um, yeah. or prehab and I picked Thanksgiving because the day before, because it was football day Thursday. <laughs> Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I knew I was going to be bedridden for a week. Yep. So I was on a week uh, before I had to go back to them, so I had to wait a week, and that's when my mom was going to drop me back off at college. Uh-huh. So I was just like, oh, well, this would be perfect, because we literally, Thursday's the NFL, yep. Friday is college football, and Saturday's college football yep. that day, Sunday's the NFL, and then a Monday night game. So I was like, this is a perfect time to just sit, and I'll be on my couch, and I can get Veg through. Out. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, just, and, and it's... I'm not like watching a bunch of TV shows. This is kind of before Netflix and everything too. So right. I was like, I was watching TV shows. I was watching cable TV. <laughs> so I was like, well, sports would be the best. So that's why yeah. I, I didn't mind that day. You're like, if I'm going to be miserable, I'm at least going to have fun watching yeah. football while I'm so doing it. So I, uh, I had the surgery and then we, I remember I was in a wheelchair. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I was in a wheelchair cause I, cause my leg was like, I had a nerve block, so I couldn't feel it. Oh so gave me, yeah. I got a wheelchair and, um, we went to our, Thanksgiving Day is a big in Massachusetts. You uh-huh. play your rival in football, uh-huh. so I just went to that game and just like wheeled onto the 
like the corner of the end zone and just like sat there on oh, like a no. leg chair. Yeah. So you're just like on painkillers, just like yeah. soaking it all I, in. Well, I wasn't on painkillers yet because um, I had a nerve block. Oh, okay. So the nerve block lasted like 24 to 48 hours. When you I woke up the next day, yet? when I woke up the next day in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., my leg was throbbing. Did you get behind? Where? Because like we always tell patients like, you need to take your painkillers like, before I, you think you need them. Yeah, so I, I was just doing every six hours, I think it was. Uh-huh. But I had fallen asleep and yep. woke up. And I just was, my leg was, no, it wasn't even that. I stood, I was sitting on the couch for like probably 24 hours. Finally went to the bathroom. When I stood up, I felt all the blood and everything rushed oh, to my leg. That's that, the worst that, My leg felt like it was 400 pounds. It was, it was, that's what got me. It, yeah. Yeah. It's awful. I like have distinct memories of doing the exact yeah. same thing. Like standing up out of bed and you just feel it all go yeah. down your And then foot. you feel the pain. You're like, oh no. So then I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was just like, I need to take this. And yeah, I have to get dark, but I, I can understand how some people get addicted to those to drugs because, like, <laughs> I like was in severe pain. I just take one. Next thing I know, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like, oh, I, I clearly understand why people. You're like, I feel get, great. Yeah, people get addicted to this. It, it makes sense. So, but anything uh, else you really want to um, cover? I think the last thing is just like this sounds crazy, but like in terms of imposter syndrome, like the more you embrace it, like the more comfortable you get with it. You can like lead you into new experiences and stuff and I mean I feel like that's kind of been the summary of what like I've been through but like if I had to give like one very solid like last piece of advice that would be it just lean right. into it alright appreciate it thank you for uh, coming on the podcast yeah thanks for having me good luck in uh, Milwaukee thank Wisconsin you. <laughs> thank you see ya